I mean, what's pro football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. Hey, as a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Do you not understand that they are that way because you're Joe Flacco? And you just like to discredit things that people deserve credit for. That you can't possibly be expected to defend that. Talk about the game, Sam. So Who cares about what people think about us. Yeah, I like football, I like football season, all the things that go with it. Welcome in to the PFF NFL podcast, Steve Palazzolo, Sam Monson down in Florida here together on a Monday morning, a little bit later than usual on YouTube, but appreciate everybody tuning in. How you doing, Sam? Good, Steve. How about you? Doing great. You sound good enough down there. Audio's <laughs> good. I'm in, the, uh, I'm in the old man's office and it's a nice place. You know, it's a good setup. Uh, it is very echoey though. So apologies if the audio is a little bit weird, but the headset you know, it does its best to neutralize some of that. And, you know, the upside is we get some uh, very weird art on the, the wall. And, you know, it's a, good, it's a good setup otherwise. Does he have a better office than you too? Yes. Okay. Yes, considerably so. Yeah. yeah. Someday you'll be as cool as your dad. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. Anyway, appreciate everybody tuning in. It's PFF NFL podcast. It's June. So, of course, we're doing shows like, hey, what if all the quarterbacks were sandwiches? Yeah. It's and we're not going through all the quarterbacks, but uh, we've 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 got some good emails that came through, such as uh, describe quarterbacks as sandwiches, and we've got some more wide receiver aggregation team building discussion or, or around Tyree Kill, and then we're going to get into the hype, Sam, because it's hype season, and that's all you do in June. Everybody's going to be good. All the draft picks are going to be good. Everything's going to be good, and we're going to buy or sell uh, all the off season hype here in June. Sounds good. No, right, you want to get into it? Yeah. You know, we start with this email. Um, we had a guy, you know, we had this conversation whenever it was a few weeks ago, prompted by one of our emails. So send us in emails there. You can see is a, it's not on this little uh, graphic thing, but NFL podcast at PFF.com is our email address. Somebody emailed in and compared the Chiefs trying to replace Tyreek Hill the Packers trying to replace Devontae Adams, um, these big teams trying to play single superstar wide receivers as like Moneyball, you know, when they were trying to replace, what was the guy's name, Steve? Somebody tried to tell us it was Jeremy Giambi. They're trying to replace Jason Giambi, and Jeremy was one of the guys they were trying to replace him with. Lesser player, okay. to be honest. But yeah, Jason okay. Giambi. So they were trying to re- replace Giambi in the aggregate, right? You didn't need to replace him with one guy you needed to replace him collectively with a group and end up with the same result. And this guy, a guy called Stephen Kelly, emails us in and was essentially arguing with this premise and saying, yeah, look, the the wide receivers, this works in baseball where there's literally one guy um, at the plate at any given time. 
doesn't quite work the same in football because, you know, if you're trying to replace wide receivers in the aggregate, these guys are taking up space on the field together at the same time. You know, there's only so many spots dedicated to wide receivers on the field at any one time. So when you're replacing a Tyreek Hill or a Devontae Adams in the aggregate, you need to replace not just what Tyreek Hill and Devontae Adams brought to the table, but you need to replace that plus what you're getting from the other guys on the field, you know, let's call them replacement level receivers um, at this point. And probably again, a little bit on top of that because of the effect that a Devontae Adams or a Tyree kill, a superstar wide receiver has in terms of, you know, force multiplier, gravity, whatever the boost effect that that guy has to the rest of the players, you need to replace that as well. So he, he had this big, long email. That was the kind of the premise of it. I'll read his conclusion, which is to wrap it all up recreating a dynamic player in the aggregate should require the, uh, the sub pieces to maybe dramatically overshoot the value of the player they're replacing. They have to recreate the value of the player they're replacing. In addition to the value of a replacement level player for each on field spot that they occupy. In addition to the surplus value generated by a a dynamic player making things easier on the rest of the offense. I'm not saying any of these teams won or lost their trades. The value wasn't only added or lost in the wide receiver group. The teams also gained some salary cap relief, additional picks used at other positions, et cetera. I'm only commenting on the idea of value recreation in the aggregate for one position group. So I agree with him. Um, I think that's a fair point that it doesn't work quite the same way as it does in baseball. But I think that last part is key, right? Which is, the Chiefs, the Packers, uh, less so the Packers, but specifically the Chiefs, are making this determination that we're essentially going to suck some resource out of the wide receiver position in terms of money, and we're going to throw that money somewhere else and hope that we can replace a Tyree kill in the aggregate at that position group and end up essentially the same or better. Yeah, so I think that's the main point, right? And, and again, the difference with baseball is when you replace a hitter, there's eight other hitters, right, that you're trying to replace. And you can theoretically get the same value from a shortstop as you can from an outfielder as you can from a first baseman, right? So in, uh, you knew that. So in mm, of course. in football, I don't think you have to focus on re- replacing Tyree Kill within the receiver group, right? Because, again, the strategy is not necessarily within the receiver group, even though personally I want my receiver group to be – probably the best unit on my team, right, other than quarterback. I, I Personally, as a team builder, I would want to make sure that my receiver room is as strong as can be. But that doesn't have to be the goal. And again, the Chiefs made this move so that they could be better at edge or at corner or at these other places, both because of the salary implications and because of the extra draft picks that they got. So I don't know that we need to go through this and say, okay, when you lose Tyree Kill who brings deep threat and defense adjustments and force multiplier to the offense, we need to recreate that with Juju and Sky Moore and Valdez Scantling in the aggregate. I I honestly don't know that you can. I I don't know that you can. I think you're looking at it saying, we're going to replace the offensive production with those guys, but we're also grabbing a George Karloftis, right? We're also grabbing whichever second round pick was the Dolphins right like those are all part of the Tyreek Hill equation right it's it's all of the positions the cap flexibility going forward and what you're doing with the entire roster here's the other thing that the Chiefs are banking on the Packers are banking on 
the fact that having an elite quarterback, having Patrick Mahomes or having Aaron Rodgers will be able to elevate the replacements, right? As much as I want and always use the phrase, I never want to see Patrick Mahomes without Tyreek Hill. I never want to see what happens when, they, when he doesn't have those, uh, the most uncoverable wide receiver and uncoverable tight end in the NFL during his career. You expect your quarterback, who is elite, to be able to elevate those guys. Whereas the teams getting those, quarter, those receivers and those weapons, they're hoping that their good quarterbacks or average quarterbacks are going to be elevated. So you're, part of the aggregate is saying, I can handle losing Tyree Kill or Devontae Adams because I've already got Mahomes and I, or I already have Rodgers. And while obviously they're better with better receivers, they're also more likely to elevate those around them. Yeah, I think it's a good point that it's more complicated than simply replacing what that guy brought with three players or whatever. Um, but I think the important point is that the extra layer, the idea of you're replacing him plus the, the three next guys, the, it's, it's comparing that part to what you've gained in terms of investment elsewhere. So it's comparing the extra layer of that the, the wasn't really covered the first time around with what you're gaining in cap flexibility in resources to the defense or wherever it is like that's the extra bit we're missing but these are the kind of emails i love getting like i got the first email i think it was a really good idea it was a good discussion and i think this is a good follow-up and a good addition to that conversation and you know shows that our listeners are actually listening they're taking it in they're they're processing they're you know they're thinking this thing through the the one other thing too because again we focus so much on position groups and we've talked a lot about the chiefs because you know they're they're the team that's trying to become the next dynasty or dynasty even um so their team building decisions are incredible to break down and figure out okay when you have this foundation where do you go from there Uh, we've talked a, a lot about the chiefs offensive line And a lot of the pushback I got was like, Steve, just admit that the Chiefs offensive line is better. And it's like, well, that's not the point, right? I'm not trying to say, did they build a good offensive line? I'm saying, did they maximize their team's wins, right? Are they maximizing their output? Because the goal isn't to have a good offensive line. The goal in this case isn't to replace Tyree Kill and have a great wide receiver core. That's not the goal. The goal is to win games, right? The goal is to win championships if you're the Chiefs. And you can make the calculated effort or calculated risk to make your receiver core better or worse and uh, deploy resources elsewhere, right? It, it all, but it's all pointed toward wins, right? So if the receiving core gets worse but the rest of the team gets better, then it's a net win for the Chiefs because you're going to win more games, theoretically. If you overcommit to the offensive line and make it too good that you can't be good elsewhere, then it doesn't matter how good your offensive line is, right? So it's not about maximizing position groups. It's ultimately about maximizing wins. And I think that's a big part of what the, you know, the Chiefs are doing strategically is trying to spread the resources across the roster. Mm-hmm. Um, that was like an interesting, in-depth, you know, serious conversation. But now we get to take it somewhere stupid, silly. Sandwich. You ready for it? Is this better than the periodic table of elements, do you think? I don't know if it's better. Because we got the same kind of category. We got a full 32 QB breakdown of the periodic elements a couple years ago, didn't we? I I did love the periodic table thing. I think that was really good. This I I don't it's it's not better, but it might not be worse. 
All right, before we get into QBs and sandwiches, and I want to get some interaction from the, uh, from the live chat. You know, put in your best quarterbacks as sandwich recommendations. Um, mm. But a reminder that the best place to play fantasy football this summer is Underdog Fantasy. Their Best Ball Mania tournament has $10 million in total prize money. And the best part is you just draft your fantasy football team, and that's it. It's right up Sam's alley. Just draft. No waivers, no trades, no in-season management. Underdog gives you your best score each week of the season, and the highest scores at the end of the year win. The champion from last year of Best Ball Mania, they drafted in June, so there's no time like the present to join Underdog and take your shot at a million-dollar draft. Plus, Underdog is going to double your first deposit up to $100 when you sign up with the promo code PFF. And then if you play 10 of those dollars using promo code PFF, you get a free PFF subscription. It's an absolute no-brainer. What are you waiting for? Head to underdogfantasy.com or go to the App Store, play $10 with code PFF, and draft your Best Ball Mania team today. All right, Sam, you want to say, go? We haven't even set this up yet, but the, the live chat is already nailing it. They're already right there. They've, they've, got, they've got the concept perfectly. They're already nailing the suggestions. Uh, one man's odyssey is suggested. Is Lamar Jackson a hot dog? Because nobody knows if it counts as a sandwich or not. Uh, James Rogan has said Kirk Cousins is a turkey sandwich and will accept no other option. Pretty good. It can suck, but it's hard for it to be truly terrible. And how often do you have an amazing turkey sandwich? That's Kirk Cousins. <laughs> I, it's perfect. I, I can't argue with that. So let me read. Let me set this up with the email. Um, we'll run through the basic premise, a couple of the suggestions in there, and then I have my suggestion. I tasked you with coming up with another one. Who knows if you actually bothered doing your homework or not. We'll find that out in a minute. This email was from Connor Dempsey. Hello, Sam and C. Big podcast fan. Listen for years, yada, yada. Arif Hassan of Consensus Board fame was asked what kind of sandwich Kirk Cousins would be. He went with tuna salad on white. Generally good, low ceiling, doesn't challenge your understanding of what a sandwich can be. I feel quarterbacks and sandwiches could be rich podcasting material and have some suggestions below. Tom Brady is roast beef. Timeless classic, uh, whether accompanied by spicy horseradish, which is evil, by the way. That's me editorializing. Horseradish sucks. Uh, sweet caramelized onion or dry leftovers, you know it will get the job done. Mark Brunel, a Steve favorite. Peanut butter and jelly, childhood favorite that conjures happy memories of a simpler yeah. time. Uh, what else we got in here? Brett Favre was hot dog with mustard. Quintessentially American. A man's man sandwich. Uh, great with beer, but potential for misplaced mustard saying to wreck your night or NFC championship game. Uh, what else we got? Sam Darnold, extremely burnt toast. Brief glimpse of potential, but clearly no use to anybody. And no protein. Uh, Not even a protein in there. Just burnt toast. No. Yeah. I like that one. Um, so, as I say, the the chat was nailing it. Do you have one? Did you bother doing your homework? No, no. I want, let's it? talk through it first, and the right ones will come to me. Okay. I'm I'm probably going to throw like the mid tier quarter. Like, what's the sandwich where the toppings are the star? You know, because that's because that's like the mid tier quarterback in general, right? Your my tier three quarterbacks are well, dependent that would be on like... the toppings. Hang on. What, what, are the, what do you mean by the toppings? The just, filling? Just whatever. No, not so much the meat, but whatever you put on it. The sauce, the uh, whatever fixings are making the sandwich. That would be like your mid-tier quarterback. Okay. Yeah. I just what don't about know what like, that best sandwich is. What about the opposite? What about the sandwich where like the star is the, is the substance in the middle? The filling? Club? No, that's like a pulled pork sandwich, right? Oh, yeah. Where essentially pork. the bread is just 
incidental to the massive pulled pork in the middle. So you know me, I just throw tiers. It's not a it's not a specific quarterback. It's like the tier one quarterbacks are yeah. pulled pork. They're anything, you know, brisket, you know, anything barbecue related. And then anything where the the toppings, not the meat, is the star. That's your uh, tier three quarterbacks. Yeah. Pulled pork is the superstar quarterback that elevates everything around it, yeah. right? Because it doesn't matter what you put on. It over. honestly doesn't matter what bread form you, you know, contain the pulled pork with. The point is the pulled pork, right? The pulled pork is amazing. And frankly, any form of bread thrown around it, it's still an awesome sandwich. So that is your tier one superstar elevates everybody around in quarterback that's aaron Rodgers. aaron Rodgers is a pulled pork sandwich pulled pork aaron Rodgers. reasonable yeah i think that's fair but i would just say it's, me, all, it's all elite quarterbacks yeah 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 but i'm gonna unlike you who's just like mailing it in like no tier i got one, one. Tier, i'm gonna give mahomes, you an actual guy patrick mahomes is a steak sandwich with, uh, with ketchup you see mine is patrick mahomes as well but let me let me give you so I've I've used references to a, an old British sitcom called Red Dwarf before. And I'm going with another one here. There is a scene in a Red Dwarf uh, episode where they've been out partying, drinking all night, whatever it is. And they're like hammered late at night. You know, that's when you start eating weird things. And so Lister makes Rimmer a triple fried egg chili chutney sandwich. Right. Which apparently is like a thing, by the way. I started Googling this last night to make sure I remembered what the sandwich was. And there are like recipes for this sandwich. Like people, I don't know if it was a thing that they co-opted for the episode or it's a thing from the episode. Yeah. But it exists and it sounds hellish. But anyway, there's a sort of line in this where, you know, he, he's like, what? What are you talking about? And he's like, no, trust me, it's amazing. So he bites into the sandwich and it's like he does that. You know, the meme of the woman who, yeah, there you go. You know, the meme of the woman who's who tastes something and it's like, mm, ooh, ooh, you know, the face goes through about eight different emotions in six seconds. Yeah, that's what that's what Rimmer does after eating the sandwich. And then he was like, this sandwich, like the ingredients, they're all wrong, but you put them together and it just works. Somehow it just works. So the, the triple fried egg chili chutney sandwich is Patrick Mahomes. Because the ingredients, other than the arm, which admittedly is there, like all of the ingredients are wrong. The dude doesn't play in structure. He makes all those throws you're not supposed to make. He's like an anti-teaching tape clinic quarterback. Like everything he does is the wrong thing. But somehow you put it all together and you end up with like the greatest quarterback ever. I like it. Look at you. Yeah? Meta- metaphor star. I'm not even going to push back on you. I'm trying to push back on you with all your stuff, but not on that, though. Well described. So so Patrick Mahomes is a triple fried egg chili chutney sandwich. I mean, we're both on brand here with uh, our answers. You just went. Look at that, though. You got up to one. You're you're in positive territory. I am. We're just going to keep. Wait till the season starts, too. We're just going to keep building on it, building on it. I'll get up to that 2507 at some point with metaphors. Mm. We're very on brand with our descriptions here. I went with a vague tiered system of sandwiches with uh with no detail you went in deep into the archives from a very specific example with a with a beautiful metaphor and tied it all together for with with uh, patrick mahomes 
So, uh, the guy James Rogan, the guy with the uh, the Kirk Cousins sandwich, was asked was saying that Mitchell Trubisky is just human feces with oh, two, two slices of Wonder Bread. I don't think you're actually going to read that. Yeah, he's essentially. I mean, <laughs> you know, which quarterback is the shit sandwich? Essentially, is what we're asking here. I like the Matty Ice one from uh, Snoopy Four. Ice cream sandwich that will melt in the spotlight. Yeah, I, mean, I don't believe yeah, it with Matt Ryan. He's Matty Ice, you know, but. Uh, yeah. Maybe that's Cousins, too. A lot of Cousins I mean, content here. Well, Cousins was the originator. That's where the question came from, with, from a reef. Right. You just, there's a lot of Cousins as, as sandwich content. The there Favre is. one's I kind mean, of perfect, too. Good old American co- hot dog. Cousins is that polarizing player. So, you know, and whether it's, you know, just general football discussion, talk about Kirk Cousins, or whether it's trying to come up with the sandwich that Kirk Cousins is, the man provides content. What's Matthew Stafford? Something where the uh, Ooh. the chef has to do all the work, right? Goes from Detroit. Matthew Stafford is a burger Just because a-, a burger the baseline is very high, right? It's very difficult to have a true like you a burger standard thing, but the variance in a burger is spectacular because you can have a pretty crappy burger. Like you go to. Whatever the worst, like, fast food. I'm not getting into this, by the way, because the fast food supporting people are, like, militant, right? So whether it's Wendy's or McDonald's or whatever you're... Who defends McDonald's and Wendy's and all them? Oh, there are people. Like, there are people. Anyway, whatever your least favorite, you know, fast food chain burger is, it's it's a pretty crappy burger, right? All right, you'll eat it because you're hungry and you're desperate and there's one right there. Fine. But it's not good. It doesn't make you feel – in fact, it makes you feel pretty bad by the end of it, right? But a good – like a truly spectacular burger is some of the best food you can eat. It's insane. So the variance is wild, and that's Matthew Stafford. You can get terrible Matthew Stafford. You can get amazing Matthew Stafford, and the truth is somewhere in the middle, which is like, yeah, this is a pretty standard burger. That's good. I like that. Look, That's another good answer. I need Tyler to look up the staggering ox. This was one of the best sandwiches I've ever had. Staggering called the staggering ox. ox it's only in montana and uh they put was, they put the i was gonna ask what in god's name you were doing in montana but of course you were playing baseball playing baseball right? yeah of course yeah. well a ball the only reason anybody would be in montana well a ball for the brewers or if you like hunting and the outdoors it's beautiful beautiful country if you don't like that stuff you're gonna be bored but uh helena montana the staggering ox they put all the food it's like a cylinder of bread and you dump whatever sauces and things you want on it, and you just turn it on its side and eat it, and it's uh, it's beautiful. That's an elite sandwich. So hmm. that could be Brady, Rogers, Peyton, Breeze, whatever you want. Okay. What's a sandwich that's too small? And we'll call that Kyler Murray. <laughs> just too small. Just not filling enough. Kyler Murray is going to be some kind of you know haute cuisine, you know, where they all the portions are like a tasting menu, those Michelin star things. Where everything you get is that. like tiny. What is that? That's the sandwich, right? So you get whatever you want. You pile it in. That's the bread, right? You pile it into one of those cylinders of bread. Yeah. And you drop like salad dressing, whatever whatever you're you're putting on it. Barbecue sauce, whatever it is. That doesn't it look seeps. easy to eat. No, you just you turn it on its side. You squish it a little bit. Yeah, no, I'm aware of that. It still doesn't look easy to eat. Oh, man, I want one right now. Is I this want one to know of how many things that... How many of like, our listeners this, have uh, had some uh, a little staggering ox? Is this one of these things that requires being your size to eat? To no, function? it's not. It's not that big. I used to eat two at a time. <laughs> I would send our uh, 
I would send our clubhouse manager to Staggering Ox to pick up like two for me before every game. I never, look, I can't believe you missed it. The chat is the chat has you covered. Kyler is a slider. <laughs> He's a slider. Perfect. He's from White Castle. He's a White Castle slider. Yeah. So this is what I'm saying. I, this is something we needed to make interactive here for the uh, for the sandwiches. Absolutely. Look, I mean, look, people email in. This is exactly what we need emails for. Uh, NFL podcast at pff.com. Match quarterback with a sandwich and explain why. And we'll uh, we'll read out some of the best ones that we get. I like the guy that tweeted at me is a hot dog a sandwich with the picture of Carson Wentz with the uh, bright yellow. I mean, he's he's wearing hot dog colors, you know, from the press conference. Yeah. With the hot dog colored shirt and the bun colored jacket. It actually looks perfect. <laughs> is a hot dog a sandwich. That was the one thing about the initial emailer. He was trying to call Philly uh, Carson Wentz a Philly cheesesteak. And I would just say a Philly cheesesteak is probably too good for for Carson Wentz at this right, point. Right, but what? But again, this is one of those things where you can. I, I don't think I've ever had one, but you can get bad Philly cheesesteaks. What if Carson Wentz is just a bad Philly cheesesteak? I mean, you could say that about everything. You can get a bad roast beef and a ham and turkey. Yeah, and but like, but but cheesesteak, I think, is one of those things where, like, you know, the ones the whatever three or four places in Philly that are supposed to be amazing and give you great cheesesteaks, those are incredible. But like. I think, I mean, look, there's, again, there are people that are quite uppity about this kind of thing. I think there are people who would say, you can get some really bad Philly cheesesteaks. Maybe Carson Wentz is just one of those. No. So Carson, my supermarket frozen Philly cheesesteak. That's mm. Carson Wentz. You know, yeah. the ones you have to stick in the microwave for like 90 seconds. It's just this sweaty mess. That, that's Carson Wentz. And it's Wentz. still like just a little frozen deep down in the middle like you didn't microwave or, it or you go the other way and it's so hot that it just incinerates the inside of your mouth and it just falls out of your face like an hour later that's that's carson wentz josh rosen hot pocket hot pocket <laughs> no because people can like survive off hot pockets you can't survive off josh rosen like at its best it burns your mouth at its worst it's just trash Oh, yeah, actually, no, that makes sense because so Hot Pocket, what's its only use in the universe? Students can survive through college on it. <laughs> and you can survive through college with Josh Rose and you can't go any further. This is why I wanted to do it on the fly. You just kind of let him flow, you know? Yeah. Oh, jeez. Right, <laughs> you want to get into hype stuff? Yeah, 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 let's do it. All right, it's June. Everybody's hype. So here's the epitome of hype. Um, ESPN had an article today where they go through all uh, of their NFL Nation reporters, all 32, and and they ask the question to the respective team reporter, what, what, what are we expecting from the first-round pick? Give us some mini-camp insight on the first-round pick and what they're expected to do. And I made it through, like, the first 13. Mm-hmm. They're all the same. It's like, insert player, insert first-round player is looking good in camp. They have high expectations for him. He's probably going to start because, you know, he was a first-round pick. I mean, what is it's your, all the same thing. What is your favorite genre or, variety or specific subtype of the offseason hype? I think it's the – I don't know if it's a genre. I just think it's every every team got better. Like, every team has – enough positive stuff happening which is fine like people should be should be positive 
But everybody, every team has enough positive stuff that there's millions of articles written about them by each team, and every team is feeling good. Like, they're going to be good. It's probably the training camp hype, though. It's probably like, you know, Joe Schmo looks good in training camp. He's going to be a contributor. Then he gets cut third week of August. My, I think my favorite subset is where a player has had something specific physically fixed in the offseason that is the root cause of all of his previous problems. So, like, the most famous. Well, two, I guess, are probably the most famous. Tim Tebow's throwing motion. No, the... Both Troy Williamson and Jameis Winston had LASIK eye surgery or whatever, right? And that, well, that was going to be the fit. So Troy Williamson's eyes got fixed, and now he can catch the football. And Jameis' eyes got fixed, and now he won't throw the ball to the people in the opposite now, color jerseys. Now, to be fair, the Jameis one still could be true. Turnover-worthy plays were down. He got hurt. Yeah. We don't know. We don't have a full season of evidence there. It's true. I'm and, just saying that's my favorite subset is, like, this guy had – eye surgery and that is the reason that he wasn't good before and now now that he's got his eyes fixed and he can see he's going to be an all pro like that's what we're dealing with here my real favorite subset is player x is way ahead of where he was last year at this time that's actually my my favorite one it's like i know the playbook this guy knows the playbook so much better because it implies that you know if he's way (laughs) that he's going to be twice as good right three times as good you know think about where he was last year he was pretty good last year But this year, so far ahead of schedule. It also kind of implies that, you know, so learning the playbook, I imagine, is quite a challenging thing, you know, depending on the playbook, depending on the player, blah, blah. It's not necessarily, you know, you've got this is why when you hear ideas of like, hey, N'Kobe Dean is a football savant. The man ingested the playbook in 36 hours and he was as good as any veteran on the defense knowledge wise. Right. That's why that's impressive, because it isn't. It isn't like that for most people. Um, and I can definitely picture how it can be a grind for some rookies, picking that thing up, learning the nuances, blah, blah. But it, it implies that it, they never got it like for the entire year. Not just that like it took them a few weeks and, you know, through training camp that was an issue that they weren't it, – it wasn't there and they weren't just running on muscle memory the whole time. They were like processing. But it also – but it implies that like week 15, it was still an issue, right? Like – we're 15 weeks into the season, plus a bye week, plus training camp, and the dude is still like, hang on, he called Lucy. Does that mean left or what? You know, it implies that like an entire year went by and the guy still couldn't get it into his thick head. And now, now that he's had an off season and he's sort of way ahead, well, now we're going to see him playing like he actually knows what the hell he's doing. Then there's best shape of your life, guys, too. You know? Yeah. Well, that's, a, that's a, like an everybody thing. Everybody's in the best shape of their life. What, what what was the best shape of your life? So I was thinking about this the last time that came up. The best shape of my life was when I did two summers of track and field in high school, in addition to like regular sports. And I don't know if this is the same for every track and field, you know, school, like, but it basically just meant run sprints until you die, yeah. you know? So I did a lot of sprints. A lot of sprints, a lot of sprints. And it was absolute 24-carat hell. But at the end of it, I was probably as fit as I will ever be. Most people don't peak in high school, Sam. That's not good. Well, most people didn't, you know, do two summers of track and field and then quit. <laughs> True. For me, like, I would imagine for a lot of people, your peak is like right before you quit, you know? We'll rehash this during best, best – uh best shape of your life season but yeah for me it was 2009 to 10 i think peak 
peak power, peak body fat, peak everything for me. Peak mustache. Peak, peak mustache. Best mustache of my life was 09. Well, you could, you could change that part at any time. That's true. Yeah. I mean, I probably can't get back to the uh, physical ability that I was over 10 no, years no, ago. No, no, no. But you can, always, you can always have a career mustache day. You can always hone the mustache. Look at, uh, look at what's his name? Sam Neal? Is that his name? Or am I thinking of the right guy? Sam. It's not Sam Neal. Sam Neal's the Jurassic Park guy. Sam. Damn it. What's his name? The, the white-haired dude with the giant mustache is in Tombstone. Yeah, I forget his name. Sam Elliott. Sam Elliott is the guy I'm thinking of. Are you ready to get into some? So we're, we'll put Tyler, together. If there isn't a picture of Sam Elliott's mustache going up on this podcast, I'm going to be pretty disgusted. I'm just saying. You, Are we ready? It doesn't matter when it happens. You just throw one up. At any time, Sam Elliott's mustache must make an appearance. Let's buy or sell the off-season hype, Sam. You ready? Yeah, let's go. Buying or selling off-season hype on Tua. Non. So this, I think, is dependent on what what is this, right? Like, will Tua have a career year in 2022? Yes. Yes. Will that career year be materially different from anything we've seen from him before? Yeah, I don't know. So I need I need parameters. What does this hype look like? Define the hype for Tua. I'm looking through this list and I'm like, yes on everything. Buying. I'm just uh, buying. I'm be. a hi- off season buyer. Absolutely. You are you are the off season hype buying yeah. merchant. Yeah, I don't mean to like downgrade uh, downplay the training camp buzz and stuff like that. But when I hear dudes are making plays and stuff, yeah, I, I buy in. I buy into all of it. Buy You're the it. guy that like you know the, when when people come to your door to door salesman, right? Are you just like, yes? Can't say no. Can't say no. I'll, have, I'll take it. Give me your new internet. Sold. Give me, yeah. give me the ShamWow. Give me right. the Cutco knives. Whatever like, it is. You'll just, you'll just buy anything. Yeah. Now, my so whole, critically, my whole house you, is like as seen on TV stuff where the guy finally made it door to door and sold it to me. Yep. Right. Your only hope to get out without paying for these things is to get Kelly to answer the door. Yes. Or to cut them off before they started speaking. So yeah, like, yeah. Once you know, they speak, hi, yeah. I'm you know Bob from from you know whatever. No, no, I don't want it. And then run back inside the house. <laughs> That's like once the- he starts talking, it's like let me tell you what I could do for your your front fence here, and you're like, hey, sold. That's like when uh, if any of our listeners are like selling timeshares or anything like that, I go and like <laughs> Kelly, listen, they're trying to sell us. Don't don't be suckered in by the free donuts. You know, just yeah. just listen to the pitch, smile and nod, and get out. Just get our free donuts. Get the fifty yard, the fifty dollar gift card, whatever they give you, right? To to listen to their pitch. And by yeah. the end, it's like, well, this makes perfect sense. Of course, I'm going to get a timeshare. You yeah. need to, yeah. When you're doing that whole like, let's let's get the free stuff and leg it. Yep. You need to go in with like isolation headphones. You know, just, get your free donut and your coffee. Yeah. Headphones on so you can't buy the thing and then leave. Yeah, like a fifty dollars gift card at Chili's. Just in, before you know it, you're out thousands. Yeah, with uh, fifty dollars gift share. card, and all it cost you was a ten thousand dollars deposit for yeah. the timeshare in December in you know Alaska. Yeah, that's me. That's me. Um, yeah. So I'm not. I'll buy in the two is going to have a career year, like you said. That baseline. I don't think. I don't think we're going to come out of this year saying, well. Two is at Justin Herbert's level. You know, we were right. Two is over Herbert, any of that stuff, right? He'll have a better year statistically, probably actual quarterback performance, but I don't think you're coming out of the saying two is a top 12 quarterback or anything like that. Yeah, so set me a line. Like, what is, what's the line you have to clear for, the, for Tua's hype to be legit? Uh, PFF grade, top 14. Top 14. 12. So, 
Oh, hang on, Top last 12. year that would put you number fourteen. Last year, oops, I'm, in, I'm a year back. Number fourteen last year was was okay. Jacoby Brissett in a small sample size. Patrick Mahomes essentially. Jalen Hurts. Patrick Mahomes, Jalen Hurts. Say top 12. Matt Ryan. Uh, he has a Matt Ryan, was... Mac Jones, Cousins, uh, whoever type season. Yeah. In that, I would in that say book. no. Stafford. Okay. Media. Selling. I agree. I'll sell that as far as the hype goes. But he'll have his best season. Um, how about uh, this is the Bills year. Vaughn. What? Wants to be the drop that over. Just... Vaughn gave some very weird uh metaphor to describe he was like you know the bills are right there they're right on he i think he said they're right on the edge which is you know that's fair that's a good standard idiom but he then said that something like he wanted to be the drop that overflowed them Mm. just it's just I, i i mean i get what he means but it's a very weird metaphor that you i haven't ever heard i don't think describe a straw that that he wants to be the thing that pushes them over the edge yeah, I understand. I get it. I get what he's saying. See, I, I, I think Buffalo's already there. You know what I mean? Like I thought, I think, no offense to my Cincinnatians over there, they're 13 seconds away from hosting the AFC Championship and being in Buffalo, and I think they probably beat the Bengals in the AFC Championship, and they probably go to the Super Bowl, and, you know, who knows? But, um, yeah, I think, I think Buffalo's already there. Vaughn can put them over the top in the playoffs. I don't think we should ignore the fact that Vaughn did start to have a little bit of decline over the last couple of years. He turned it on during the playoffs. Playoff Vaughn could show up and help put them over the top, but I already think Buffalo's there, so I guess I'm buying this whole whole thing. Yeah, I, I, I think it's important that you're right. They were they were thirteen seconds away from, you know, playing Cincinnati in the AFC championship game in a game they would have been favorites for. Um and if they'd made it through that and gone to the Super Bowl, would they have been favorites against the Rams? Maybe. Um, so, uh, look, you can't say, well, yeah, but it didn't happen, right? And it's it's true. They it wasn't like they just got unlucky. They didn't, you know, it wasn't a, a it wasn't like the Saints thing where the the, the officials hosed them out of the, the game, right? They lost that game fair and square themselves in those 13 seconds with some truly suicidal defense. Like they, it wasn't simply a case of everybody got tired. Like they played it badly. They butchered those 13 seconds and they got punished for it because they played the chiefs who were a team. You simply can't afford to give that kind of chance to. So they cost themselves a trip to the AFC title game and maybe the super bowl, but it does show you like how close they were. You know, this was a team fully capable of winning a Super Bowl last year. These are just the the fine margins you're dealing with at the NFL level in today. So, yeah, on the one hand, I think you're right. This is a Super Bowl caliber team, and they're going to be right there challenging. You know, for the for the foreseeable future. On the other hand, last year shows you like how fine those margins are, and it only takes one mistake to not be there, right? And it, it, maybe it happens in the divisional round. Maybe it happens in the wild card round. Maybe it happens in the AFC title game. Maybe that's the thing that costs you a Super Bowl. But each playoff round essentially is an opportunity to blow it. And Buffalo blew it last year. So is this their year? I think when you're dealing with that kind of question, you always take the field versus the one team, right? Same with the Chiefs. Like, it, are the Chiefs going to win the Super Bowl this year versus will anybody other than G- the Chiefs win the Super Bowl? You take the field. But 
like they should be favorites i think like they they probably have the best chance of anybody based on how good they are to win the super bowl this year you would still take the field versus buffalo so you're selling the the bills hype because they're not going to win the super bowl well, Vaughn's I'm buying the, the idea that they are the best team on paper heading into the year. I'm selling the idea that that means they should win the Super Bowl this year simply because the favorite generally shouldn't win. Maybe I'll just buy all of it. Yeah, Bills. I think that's likely. Bills winning it. Winning it all. And it's Vaughn. Vaughn putting yeah. it over the top. Where's my talent doc here? Uh, Chargers. This year's different. Buying or selling. This is the Chargers year. So... Obviously, the Chargers is where everybody gets into trouble. So I'm buying it. It, it is different this year. They're better this year. They this have more it. talent this year. The reasons that they've struggled before are not reasons now that apply. The Chargers should be a playoff team this year. They almost made it last year. Remember, it required, like, it was an insane game against the Raiders that week 17. 17? 18? 18. Yeah. 18. To, game seven. To prevent them. Um, I think this year they make it and, you know, are they, again, are they going to win the Super Bowl? Probably not, but I think they make the playoffs and they are one of the best teams this year. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to buy that as well. <laughs> I mean, but look, it's, it's the same argument you're making about the bills, right? Um, the chargers had their own issues last year, right? The run defense was horrendous and uh, Brandon Staley. I do think he made the right move as far as a lot of fourth down decisions go, but some of them ended up coming back to bite in certain games. And all that said, the Chargers had to beat the Raiders. And look, the Raiders overachieved last year. They won 10 games with a negative point differential. And we use point differential as just this gauge of, you know, how good is a team actually. And I think when a team wins more than they should from a point differential standpoint, they get a little lucky, right? The Chargers should have been a better team than the Raiders last year. And they had a chance to make it into the playoffs by just beating the Raiders. And they didn't do it. So the Chargers deserve all the hype because they've got very good players. They have an ascending quarterback in Justin Herbert who continued to prove that he's ready to be in that top tier, that top echelon. It wasn't just a fluke as a rookie. Then they add in all the great players like J.C. Jackson and Khalil Mack and uh, re-sign their receivers, and they have all the pieces in place. But all that said, the Chargers should have been better last year. They underachieved last year as well. So I can understand... The people who are like, all right, let's not do this again. But I'm buying in. All that said, I'm buying in to the Chargers. I'm buying their hype this offseason, which is different, right? Where the Buffalo hype, we're saying, if we're saying buy, we're saying that this is the year they're going to win the Super Bowl. I'm saying the Chargers are going to be right there in the thick of it in the AFC this season. So I'm going to buy it. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think it's true. I, this should be, again, I don't think their year for winning a Super Bowl, but their year to finally sort of stop flattering to deceive and actually achieve something that they should achieve, which is make the playoffs, be one of the better teams, be a real contender. What's this next one here? You got Kyle Pitts? Yeah, so a lot of people are looking at Kyle Pitts' rookie season, right, where he was like the first receiver, the first tight end since, was it Ditka? Something ridiculous to get 1,000 yards in a season. And they're like, look at what this guy can do as a receiver, split out wide, lining up as an ex-receiver. He is going to go somewhere like truly special next year and beyond. Like we are going to see like revolutionizing the game. We're going to see the greatest tight end in NFL history. We are going to see like just, just incredibly special playmaker and, you know, redefine what the position is capable of, blah, 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 blah. Like we are going to see an 
all-time special season from Kyle Pitts based off this skill set that we're seeing. So I, you want to know if I'm buying or selling that? I mean, I'm assuming you're buying it on the basis that, you know. I buy all the hype. Yeah. I mean, the, I would sell it because I think it's it, Marcus Mariota has to be on the other end of that, right? <laughs> I mean, he's the, he's the quarterback there, and I like Mariota. Mariota's fine. I would feel more confident with Matt Ryan doing that in Atlanta. Um, yeah, I mean, like, the basis for that, like, oh, he had 1,000 yards. I don't love that. I mean, 18-game schedule. Uh, 17-game schedule here, Sam. You know, 1,000 yards is just this thing. I, I don't think Pitts was – with an 18-game, eight, an 18-week 18 schedule. Pitts was very good last year, though. I mean, he was very good. I don't think – do you think he underwhelmed at all? Were our expectations too high for Pitts? Or did he essentially meet your expectations? Um, so let me just say this. I'll sell it on the basis of, like, I don't think he's going to have, like, a 1,500, 1,600-yard season or anything like that. But I think he'll continue to develop into one of the best playmakers in the NFL. And when you look at guys that are in the tight end bucket, Kelsey, Gronk, Waller, Mark Andrews, I think Pitts will be in that top five by the end of it, right, which is – a playmaker who dictates the action at that position yeah so in it, first question um if you think that kyle pitts underwhelmed in his rookie season then i think your expectations were too high uh, kyle pitts i think did about what you could possibly expect him to do even if you were massively you know even if you loved kyle pitts as a prospect now so i'm on record as saying that kyle pitts if he just played X receiver coming out, like if you took away the tight end snaps from his college tape, scaled up his X receiver snaps and said, this is just a wide receiver. That's all he is. I, he would be the number one wide receiver on the board for me. I would have taken him above Jamar chase or certainly right there with like one, a one, you know, him and Jamar chase. Um, so even with those expectations, like transitioning, essentially from tight end to a wide receiver role is going to take a little bit of adjustment. He's not going to just come out there and dominate the same way Jamar Chase could, who isn't changing role. He's just coming out there and changing competition. Um, Where I think it gets more difficult for Kyle Pitts is if you're looking at those wide receiver snaps in the NFL and saying, you know, watch this play. He's lined up as an X receiver. He's in press coverage. He dusts the cornerback at the line. He runs away from him. He outruns the secondary, blah, blah. It's a credible play. But if you're like, how many other tight ends in the NFL can do this? Like, okay, great. But critically, he isn't really a tight end at, at this point. Like, I, he played less than a third of his snaps, whereas a true inline tight end, right? We had 280-something snaps in the slot. We had 240 snaps lined up out wide. And we had 240-something lined up as an inline tight end. And a lot of those plays were, you know, not for his blocking prowess. So we're essentially talking about a guy who is a true wide receiver right now, moonlighting a little bit of tight end and still learning that role because he was more of a college tight end than he has been in the NFL. So I don't think you can look at that and say, you know, Rob Gronkowski couldn't do this as a tight end. Like, he didn't have this type of wide receiver skill set. Therefore, he's going to be everything Gronk can be and some more. You have to look at this and say, okay, but now let's compare this to, like, number one wide receivers. Compare this to Jamar Chase. Compare this to A.J. Brown. Compare this 
to Tyree Kill, Devontae Adams. Like, that's what you're comparing Kyle Pitts to right now. Plus, you know, 200 snaps where he's an inline tight end. All of a sudden, I think the picture starts to change, and it's like, okay, what he's doing is still legit. I'm not taking away from it, but I'm saying, like, that's, it's not – it's in the realm of, like, expectations for a number one player of that variety – it's not like, oh, my God, we've never seen this before. This is, like, totally unprecedented. Like, this is kind of what the gig is now for a hybrid type of weapon like that who has wide receiver skills. Right. So, yeah, I, I don't think we're going to see totally unprecedented. I think the other underwhelming part is, like, he had one touchdown, right? And when you're describing Kyle Pitts, we know the touchdowns fluctuate, and he could have 10 this year pretty easily. But you expected a lot of his – highlight real plays to be you know five yard passes in the end zone right it, maybe right. it's always matt ryan maybe it's like matt ryan hey you had Seriously. julio jones for years you had kyle pitts these are supposed to be great red zone weapons it, why are they not being used properly or why are they not finding the end zone on the other hand kyle pitts averaged over 15 yards per reception last year but to your point yeah nothing really came in line and i know travis kelsey doesn't line up in line a ton mark andrews doesn't have to a lot of their production comes in the slot or out wide However, to truly transcend the position, like I think what makes Gronk and George Kittle so great, obviously, is their run blocking and their ability to create mismatches. You literally don't know how to match up with Gronk or with Kittle from a personnel standpoint. Pitts is just going to be getting corners out there. Yeah. You know, which is fine, which is good. I don't know that it's gonna it's not gonna transcend time or anything. So I think he'll have a great season. I think he'll I think he's a fantastic player. But I don't know that we're putting Kyle Pitts into the Hall of Fame at the end of the season, if that's the question. Right. Kelsey's, interestingly, is about the same. His breakdown in terms of, uh, in terms of slot, wide, uh, slot wide and in line. It's about a third of his snaps in line. So Kelsey is kind of uh, Kyle Pitts' benchmark. And if that's true, you know, look at Kelsey over the last, what, six years? We're talking averaging somewhere upwards of 90 catches, averaging – what, 1,200 type of yards, averaging eight, nine touchdowns, something like that. Like, that's the kind of – that's the yardstick now for a guy that has that freakish tight end wide receiver hybrid skill set. Um, and therefore, like, that's what Kyle Pitts is shooting for. To exceed that would be crazy. All right, what else do we have here? Brian Dable, buying or selling. Brian Dable is a product of Josh Allen. So, the, well, the hype this offseason is, you know, Brian Dayball comes in fresh off the Josh Allen success. He's going to overhaul the Giants. He's going to get something out of Daniel Jones that we haven't seen. And this is a QB guru, you know, that everybody's trying to hire right now. And I was sort of mentioning to you the other day that if you look through his resume, and if you took Josh Allen out of it, you know, you just said, forget, forget the Josh Allen thing. It didn't happen. It's not there. Just remove it to the side. The rest of his career, Brian Dayball's, looks very, very different. Like, it's not, it's not this resume, like, punctuated with, you know, a sequence of Josh Allen guys or a sequence of, like, quarterback success stories. It is – it's a bunch of gigs that didn't necessarily end that well. And then the Alabama Rehabilitation Project, right, the offense coordinator at Alabama thing, which, you know, it went well, obviously, but it, it does for everybody, right? Like, you t- how do you – we've had – We've had Bill O'Brien. We've had um, Lane Kiffin, like this sequence of guys who've gone to Alabama, you know, as part of the Nick Saban kind of coaching brethren, immediately like bounce back as the the offensive coordinator at Alabama, you know, leads a great offense, blah, 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 national title type of team. 
and then they go somewhere else. So he, you know, gets the rehabilitation from Alabama, bounces to Buffalo, and then the Josh Allen, like, whatever that was, going from this incredibly raw bag of tools to one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL, that has created this, like, upswell of Brian Dayball hype that might just be Josh Allen being Josh Allen. Yeah, I mean, what's the proper way to view that, though? Because, you know, like if this was your career, Sam, you would say, you know what? I went to all these different places, and I learned a whole bunch of new things, and I, I learned some stuff from the Patriots, and I learned some stuff from this stop, and I learned some stuff in Alabama, and it culminated in this Josh Allen development, right? That's what I am. That's who I am as the coach now, based off all of those other stops, right? I think a lot of times we look through this lens like we want to always see success, Right. Um, it's easy to describe Andy Reid's career and say, well, he had success with, I mean, he was with Brett Favre and he was with all these really good West Coast quarterbacks. And then he developed Donovan McNabb and he had Alex Smith and then he had Mahomes. And it's like, all right, success everywhere. But can you also look at a guy like Dayball and say, well, all these things culminated in Josh Allen, which is the best reclamation project we've seen in the NFL and you know, probably since Brett Favre, right? Because Brett Favre was this unpolished you know, literal gunslinging quarterback. I mean, that's just what he was. Josh Allen came into the league, had accuracy issues, and now is a good, well-rounded quarterback with the with the best tools in the league, basically. And but it's also fair to say, well, Josh Allen also has uh, Jordan Palmer that he works with, right? We have a yeah. we have a one-on-one throwing coach, essentially. How much credit? is Josh Allen being a physical freak who worked hard. How much of it is Jordan Palmer? How much of it is, is it Brian Dable calling good plays and developing him? It's probably a combination of everything. So uh, it just depends on how you look. I just don't always like to knock somebody where it's like, oh, this guy didn't have success until he got Josh Allen. Because um, with Dable, it could just be like, that's, that's what he is right now. He is this coach who can help out young quarterbacks. Now, all that said, I don't think we see special from Daniel Jones this year. I think Daniel Jones looks like Daniel Jones. So I'm going to sell the fact that Brian Dable is going to completely rehabilitate Daniel Jones. But I also have confidence that if you give Dable the next quarterback prospect, maybe he will you know, do some good work with him. Yeah, look, you know, just because you're not giving credit for something doesn't mean you're inherently knocking him. You know, it's nuance not, here. There's nuance to this, right? Nuance. There isn't just black or white. It's not you get credit or you get knocked. Those are the only two options. I'm simply saying that the Josh Allen thing is problematic because there is that question mark over, like, what is this? Why did this happen? Is it Brian Dayball? Is it Ken Dorsey, the quarterback's coach? Is it Jordan Palmer, his individual, you know, personal coach? Is it Josh Allen just knuckling down and changing things that most quarterbacks can't change? Is it a combination of all these things? My point simply being right now, that is kind of the thing that is being used as the Brian Dayball hype machine. Now, look, he also, his play calling, et cetera, was pretty good, right? So it's not like that's the only thing on his resume. But my point was, if you took that away and you said, right, imagine imagine he just had a couple of years where his play calling looked good, but there was no Josh Allen development, right? He just had some middle-of-the-road quarterback, Tyrod Taylor, right? Imagine they never got rid of Tyrod Taylor. He had been their quarterback for the last couple of years, they had been fine, right? Taylor had continued his streak of like top 15 PFF grades and the offense had just been good. He wouldn't be the same, right? The, the, the hype wouldn't be the same. We wouldn't be saying, well, this guy's going to come in and turn Daniel Jones into the first round quarterback that we always knew he could be. 
it would just be like, all right, we've got a guy who has a pretty good track record of a play caller. You know, great. Um, and so you, because the Josh Allen thing is so – we just don't know, like, who was responsible. I, I think it's fair to not give him, like, full credit for that, right? If you can't say unequivocally that he's responsible for it, by definition, you can't give him full credit for it. So if you're removing – if you're just giving him partial credit for that – then you have to start looking at the rest of his career. And if you do that, again, I'm not saying like you go, well, this is a terrible resume. I want no part of this. But it doesn't look great. You know what I mean? It's not special. It's like this is, this is a, a journeyman who got rehabilitated by Alabama and then got this job in Buffalo and Josh Allen happened, right? So I just think it's, it, it, you look through a very different lens if you remove that one aspect, which is questionable, which is up, literally up for debate because – Nobody can give you a good answer. Dable has been in a lot of different places. Chiefs, Dolphins, Browns. He's been an offensive coordinator uh, prior to being, you know, with Buffalo, um, Atlanta. I'm sorry, Alabama. Can't read. Um, Mm. Yeah, so we'll see. I'll I'll sell the fact, though, that it's going to – we're going to see it this year with Daniel Jones. Yeah, I I put that into the kind of two – bracket i think we'll get a better daniel jones this year on the basis that i was predicting one last year um but i don't think it's going to be like you know we're not going to see a daniel jones that makes them change everything in new york and go oh dude we found the guy like now let's build around him broncos wide receivers to the moon with russ buying or selling (sighs) um i'm torn on this one because i love as people know people know i love jerry judy you do um I was also a big fan of KJ Hamler. Um, and, you know, Cortland Sutton has shown quite a lot already in the NFL. And Tim Patrick, the great, the great Tim Patrick. Thank you. Um, so there's a lot to work with there. But I, it's more, I come down to this idea of like, what, what Russell Wilson are we going to get? You know, and this just this notion that you plug, that Russell Wilson is a plug and contend quarterback. I'm just a little bit leery about it. Like I know he was in Seattle and this team was contending basically every time he was there, almost regardless of what was around it. Um, but I just think that it's, it's not, he's not as easy to plug in. You know, the, the thought before Russell Wilson happened was this was the Aaron Rodgers destination, right? Last year, the whole drama around draft time. And then there was, you know, when they hired Nathaniel Hankett, it's like that guy's purpose is to woo Aaron Rodgers to Denver. And then Rodgers re-signs with the Packers, and that's off the table, and that's when they pivot to Russell Wilson. I think Aaron Rodgers is a much more plug-and-contend quarterback than Russell Wilson is, where I think there is a big question mark about what this offense looks like, about, you know, is the Russ, is the let Russ cook movement just, you know, dinosaur coach Pete Carroll never figured out what to do with Russell Wilson, or is it like this is kind of part of Russell Wilson, like this is part of the package and you have to contend with that. So, I, you know, I think those wide receivers, they have to be better than Drew Locke and Teddy Bridgewater. They have to be. But I don't know that they're necessarily immediately going to go, you know, through the to the moon and, you know, crazy. Like Jerry Judy ends up looking like a top five receiver. Cortland Sutton puts up monster numbers. You know, KJ Hamler has 10 deep touchdowns, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, my question is, what is what's Russell Wilson at this point, right? I mean, right. this is a guy that starting in 2019 looked like, you know, we like to put the tears and all that stuff. And 
tier two quarterback, right? A guy that you can uh, that can carry your team, but is not in that elite bucket. And it looked like in 2019, he took that jump, right? PFF grade of 91.9. It was his first time over 90 since his rookie season. Uh, first half of 2020, he's got a 95 PFF grade through the first half of the season. It's like, all right, Russ has arrived. He's in the top four. He's up there with Mahomes and in this group that's going to carry the, the next few years in the NFL once the older guys drop off. Then you have Russ's almost inexplicable 2020 drop off. Right, which included three games against a really tough Brandon Staley-led Rams defense, but a complete drop-off in 2020. Then you get a new system in 2021 where the first five weeks he's playing well. He's playing pretty well. He's taking care of the ball, but it always felt like there was something missing. It was a little too top-heavy. But then the thumb injury throws everything off, right? Because the grades after the thumb injury are just terrible and nothing in line with the rest of Russ's career other than the second half of 2020 when he was healthy, right? So it's easy it would be easy to make the thumb injury excuse. He had a 33 grade against Buffalo, a 33 grade against the Rams, a 49 grade against the Bears. It'd be easy to make the thumb injury excuse, except we saw a play like this the previous season with a healthy Russell Wilson. So what is he at this point? And I know there are some people who thinks he, think he's lost a little bit of the athleticism, a little bit of the elusiveness, a little bit of the magic, not so much as a thrower, but the athleticism that's made Russ special throughout the years. So – as always, I land in the middle, right? He'll be somewhere in between the elite 2019 first half of 2020 elite Russell Wilson. He'll be between that and what was really a train wreck the second half of the season after the injury. And a guy that since 2020, midseason, he's like QB 19 or 20 in the NFL from a grading standpoint. He's better than that, right? So Russ will be better right. than he's been. And I, I'm buying that the receiving core in, in Denver, they're going to look better. Right, I want to see more from Jerry Judy, though. Your guy. My one little concern coming out of Bama was toughness over the middle. You know he's not going to win contested catches, but he doesn't have to. He's going to get open. I think his production will go up. But I also think the same thing that makes Tyler Lockett special, the body control and uh, catches in traffic and things like that. I do think Judy's just missing that. If he takes that step forward, great. I'm not, I don't, I'm not expecting it. But I think Sutton's going to benefit. I think Tim Patrick's going to benefit. K.J. Hamler's going to benefit. Judy will benefit, too. Um, So they'll look better with this version of Russell Wilson, but maybe not as special as I thought this Broncos receiving core could have been a couple years ago. Yeah, I mean, I think that's probably true. Like that, I think the onus is now on them to show something different and, you know, prove essentially that they've been held back by the quarterbacks pretty badly. And I think they'll be better. I don't know they're going to look insane. All right, two more questions to pose here. This will be, buying or selling, this will be the best Packers defense since their championship run in 2010 and then the or, and or the best defense that we've seen for, uh, for Aaron Rodgers. I, I think the best one was 2010 when they won the, the Super Bowl. Right. Um, yeah, when you look at this Green Bay team now, like – you know, we focused a lot on how that wide receiver room might be the worst he's had maybe ever. 2015 was the only other really bad receiving group that Rodgers has had, I think. Other than that, he's always had at least one superstar. Devontae Adams for the last few years. Before Devontae Adams, it was Jordy Nelson. Before Jordy Nelson, it was Greg Jennings. Before Greg Jennings, it was Donald Driver. Like, they've had this run of pretty good number one wide receivers, and often those guys have overlapped and given them, like, a really good receiving core. So the last time Rodgers had a really bad one was Jordy Nelson missed a year, and they just didn't have 
they didn't have the backups at that point. Um, but the defense, like the flip side of that is, you know, look at this defense and that's where they've spent a lot of these resources. And all of a sudden, like that defense does look really talented. Um, we've talked before about how Eric Stokes on defense, you know, ended up playing a ton last year because Jair Alexander got injured and missed a lot of time. And Eric Stokes looked absolutely phenomenal, um, or at least was really good in sticky coverage and sort of showed the potential to be elite with a year where he plays the ball a little bit better. But all of a sudden, like his, his development got accelerated by that. They brought back Razul Douglas, who had that career year. Um, the safeties, Adrian Amos, Darnell Savage, those guys are both incredible. Rashawn Gary had that year last year where he sort of realized all of his athletic potential looked incredible. Um, you know, the, the defensive front, they bring in uh, guys to add to Kenny Clark, who's obviously been the, the stalwart for a number of years. They bring back all pro season Devondre Campbell. Like this is, they've got a lot of talent on that defense. It could be, it could be the best defense he's had for, you know, a decade. Could be. Yeah. It could be. Could be. You can't, could be buying. You either are or you're not. All right. 2010. Best, Hmm. best since their Super Bowl championship team. All right. What is, so, you know, we've, we've extolled the virtues before of defense, defense. It's not that it doesn't matter. It's that it's a product of the offenses that you're facing. Defense right? doesn't matter. Come on. So we have to look. It. We have to look at the offenses the Green Bay are going to be facing. Obviously, you've got Minnesota, Chicago, Detroit, three, uh, six times in the season. Minnesota might have a good offense. The rest of them, probably not so much. Detroit, eh, be in the middle. The Chicago Bears offense might stink. Um, Tampa Bay week three that should have a good offense New England week four not sure the Giants the Jets the Commanders these are not intimidating offense Buffalo in week eight that should be pretty scary Dallas week 10 Tennessee Philadelphia uh, sounds like you're selling the Rams like Miami so there's, you know, there's a smattering of very good offenses in there but there's also a pretty good baseline of teams that you should be able to dominate uh, I think that evens out somewhere in the middle. So I will buy that this will be the best defense they've had in the last decade. There you go. A good a definitive pick. I will also buy best, best defense in a decade for Green Bay. I think the, the, the way to balance that, though, Sam, is it might not show up in the stats. It might not show up because, uh, because they play Tampa Bay and the Bills and the Cowboys and some of those other teams. But uh, yeah, it'll be the best defense, right? I mean, you've got Devondre Campbell coming off that career year, now paired with first-rounder Quay Walker. Devontae Wyatt can ease in as a pass rush specialist early on with Kenny Clark, as you mentioned. I just love that they're deep in the secondary, right? With with Eric Stokes, with Rasul Douglas, who did fit their system extremely well, a healthy Jair Alexander, Darnell Savage, Adrian Amos. Amos is one of the most underrated safeties in the entire league every single year. Packers are deep, and... They're also going to have to rely on that defense. I also think there's this element where there might be more games where it's an Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon show, where it, it, we, we, we somewhat joked but also kind of seriously said they were trying to imitate what the Niners were doing with run game a couple years ago in their draft, right? We want to run the ball. We want to play good defense. There might be some games where they rely on Aaron Rodgers a little bit less, and they do have to rely on their defense, and I think they are more equipped – 
to do that this year. So I will buy the Packers hype. Best defense they've had since 2010. And here's the last one. A lot of us, myself included, kind of brushed aside Trevor Lawrence's rookie season, right? Ah, you know, the situation was bad. Urban Myers at the club, grinding with, the, with someone that's not his wife. Urban Myers kicking kickers. Like, how could you work in this environment, right? Nobody could survive in this environment. But it wasn't just a little blip, right? Trevor Lawrence just also wasn't good. So a lot of people brush that aside and say, well, he's so talented, he's going to be fine. Are you buying or selling that Trevor Lawrence is going to be just fine and we can kind of push his rookie season aside because Urban Meyer was such a train wreck? I know. know. The Trevor Lawrence thing, um, I think that the Urban Meyer points are legitimate, right? Like that was clearly a toxic, toxic environment to be in. It was also like the the kind of extra part of that is it was a terrible offense, like structurally. It was a schematically bad offense. People were in the wrong place at the wrong time. You know, route concepts were lousy. Trevor Lawrence was not in any way, shape, or form being set up for success, like just at all. At all. So I do buy into the idea that like it was very difficult for him to come out of that season and look good, right? But there is a question of like, yeah, but like, but how good, how not good did he look, right? And whether it's Trevor Lawrence or Zach Wilson, there's a degree to which players that were that hyped, and by that I mean Trevor Lawrence was billed as the best quarterback prospect to come along since at least Andrew Luck. So that's going back a decade, right? There were people that said, forget Andrew Luck, you got to go back to Peyton Manning. That's going back to 1998. That's not even in this millennium. There were people that said, forget Peyton Manning. You've got to go all the way back to John Elway. That's back to the 83. Like, that's back to the point where, you you know, we were barely born, right? The, the, the term generational gets thrown around a lot now. But that's like, that's the legitimate definition of generational. I mean, that's 83, 98, 2012. That's the kind of sequence we're talking about here. So for him to come out of last season and, like, if you, if you came away – you know, if you asked anybody, you showed them their Trevor Lawrence's tape last year. You're like, how good, how good a prospect was this guy? Like how, how much was his hype a year ago? There's not a soul in the world would be telling you, Oh, this is like, this is a generational quarterback talent. I've never seen, I I have to go all the way back to the late nineties to imagine a guy that looked this good. So you just didn't see that kind of hype. And Zach Wilson, the reason I throw him in that bucket as well is you know, Trevor Lawrence is the consensus number one quarterback in that draft. If there were, you know, the people from left field, the guys, the, the, the contrarians, the contrarians had Zach Wilson as the number one. They're like, you know, Trevor Lawrence is great and all, and I agree, he's this incredible prospect, but Zach Wilson's special is better. Zach Wilson's arm is better. Zach Wilson does more insane Patrick Mahomes, Aaron Rodgers type of things and I, all I care about is ceiling. So I'm going to have Zach Wilson as the number one QB. Like those two guys didn't show it year one. And it's not just that it was all over the place. And, you know, we saw a lot of good and a lot of bad. They just didn't really show the good. You look at Trevor Lawrence. Trevor Lawrence played 1,022 snaps last season. And he had 22 plus one graded plays, right? There's nothing throws, yeah. higher than that. Nothing. You know? So – that's that's just a very small percentage and it's a smaller percentage than I would have expected to see 
even for a guy in a toxic work environment with a crappy offense. Like I just would have expected more plays where Trevor Lawrence went to hell with it. I'm an elite prospect. I'm going to make something stupid happen. And you're just going to have to sit here and watch it. Yeah. That's my concern with Lawrence. There was, there was not enough of that, right? I mean, even just six yards per attempt, average depth of target was just over eight, you know? So he's on, he's, he's throwing the ball on the conservative side, only the 22 big time throws. I thought at the very least, even in that environment, you would have you would have some like special comebacks, special throws and comeback opportunities. I thought you'd see more of the special come out from Trevor Lawrence. And I didn't see that. I also was concerned when, when he did turn the ball over and when he uh, did put the ball in harm's way. It was just a lot of tardiness, right? So right, right or wrong system, system good, system bad, spacing's bad, Tavon Austin's an outside receiver, all of that stuff aside – he was just late. He was tardy on a lot of stuff. And I think that was really concerning for me with Lawrence. And honestly, if you go back to his college tape, these, they're not new things, right? Both those things. One, like that was, that was a flaw of his in college was being late to some things Two, You didn't see like an off the charts level of special plays from Trevor Lawrence. It was more, we anointed this guy day one and he was very good from that point on. But did he ever go from very good to like, insane right the best grades we've ever seen right like did he ever have a season like mac jones where he had like a 95 96 grade a season like baker mayfield a season like kyla murray these guys joe burrow what we're learning with those pff college grades is that there is actually a significant difference between like guys that can break 90 and guys that can push that to like 94 94 95 96 right like that rarefied air there is a there is a gradation. There is like a difference between just being very good slash elite and taking that grade to somewhere utterly ridiculous. Lawrence never did that. Um, now the body of work as a whole was crazy and six six two twenty. Like he's the perfect prototype, and we anointed this guy from day one. He never showed us anything different. So I think it was fair for him to be an incredibly hyped prospect but I'm not sure he was ever justifiably, you know, generational. Like, I'm not sure he ever earned that kind of moniker, that hyperbole. And if he didn't, then I'm not sure, like, you're looking at that year one and saying, okay, year one was ugly. On the other hand, we know he's a generational prospect, therefore he will overcome. Like, now we're just like, year one was bad. And, you know, year one that's bad for for good quarterbacks doesn't necessarily come good. So are you selling Trevor Lawrence is going to be just fine and back on to generational prospect status? Uh, yeah, so those are two different questions, I think. Um, if just, like, again, I'm, I need sort of definition of just fine. If How about you're saying, massive, massive improvement? He graded at 59.6 last year. We're going to see him grade up at, at least 75 this year. Big step forward in year two. Well, how about this? I think... Trevor Lawrence will never get back to being seen as, you know, a generational prospect. Okay. I mean, my prediction for early in his career was going to be similar to Andrew Luck. Where right. Luck, now, Luck did, got back there. Right. Luck did, but like Luck, Luck had those, he graded in the high 70s. His grades yeah. were never elite, but you saw elite play, right? You saw a lot on his plate. Right. You saw a lot of big mistakes that he made, but it was complemented with incredible plays. And that's, that's where, like, that's sort of my concern with the Lawrence thing, right? Is that 
it wasn't like luck, right? right. We didn't see. I the, wanted to the, see that. Even if the grade had ended up in the same place, like you just, you didn't see as much high end as we saw from luck, even when luck was like, quote unquote, struggling, you know, and wasn't playing the sort of truly elite special football. We know he can play. There were so many mistakes, but we always saw the crazy highs, you know, of his game. We didn't see that from Trevor Lawrence. So yeah, my, I'm, I'm selling the idea that Trevor Lawrence ever gets back to being seen as that special generational quarterback. All right, I'm going to buy it. I'm going to say he's back on track. He'll get back to what I thought he was going to be, which is like this luck trajectory, which using PFF standards, luck didn't peak until year four, five, six. Um, and he had some weird blips in there too, but he didn't He didn't start grading at 90 plus until he retired, basically, until he was ready to retire. <laughs> uh, but don't worry, some social media account, not PFF, but some other sports account is going to say, uh, Peyton Manning interceptions as a rookie, 26 or 28 or whatever the number was. Trevor Lawrence, 17, and, and try to sell this. Story. Well, look, Trevor Lawrence is way ahead of Peyton Manning in 1998, right? That's all you need. I, I Don't wanna, be fooled by yeah. those stupid social media posts that cross-compare just generations and eras and don't make any sense. Don't do when it. people When people do that, you know, the answer to that is like, Go and look at what a television looked like from 1998, right? Go and look at what a cell phone looked like in 1998. We are in a different world. Do you remember when televisions, like a late 90s TV, right? We We hadn't even reached the sort of... We didn't have HD. Oh, forget HD. Like we hadn't even reached the sort of giant stage of those big CRT things. Like we were still... I am recording this right now from in front of what I think is a 27 inch iMac screen, right? The 27 inch was like your big family living room television in 1998. And it not only, so the screen was 27 inches, but the TV went back like three feet and weighed 182 pounds, right? Like this is the world we lived in, in 1998. Now this iMac, you could pick up with one hand and move around the, the office. Like, it's a different world. A cell phone in 1998 was like a brick. Okay, it wasn't quite those like giant brick things, but like it was, it was a solid hand-sized thing with giant buttons all over and a screen this size Zach that Moore did style. nothing. So you can't look at Peyton Manning and say, well, this is obviously you know comparable to what's happening now. We were in a different world back then, and the NFL is just as different as that freaking TV is from whatever's in your living room right now. In addition, there's probably about 50 rookie quarterbacks since that time maybe 70, that had fewer interceptions than Peyton Manning that year. So you can't just take one and say, well, Trevor Lawrence equals Peyton Manning. You have to list every single one, which is literally every single rookie quarterback since then. So anyway, I don't want to argue with um, a thing that hasn't happened yet. I'm just saying social media accounts compare the late 90s to today a lot and then like put a question mark and then you guys respond. And what you should be saying is stop it. Just stop. All right. Let us know. What are you buying and selling as far as the hype goes this offseason? Fun oh, show. I don't care about that. I want to know what sandwich you think is the same as an NFL quarterback. All right. Now you can. we'll open up the sandwich question to any NFL player. Right? So if you want to add Aaron Donald in there, if you want to add whoever it is, Darren Waller, anybody could be a sandwich. I think now you're just overcomplicating it. Just trying to get more, more interaction, which okay. uh, you can interact with us over on Twitter at PFF 
at PFF underscore Sa- Steve, at PFF underscore Sam, as you can see there on the screen. Most importantly, at PFF NFL Pod. Email us at NFL Podcast at PFF.com. And oh, by the way, you can get 25% off any of PFF subscriptions over at PFF.com using the promo code, what is it? NFL Pod. <laughs> That's good work. So you, only, well. you only read that out like a million times. Easy to forget. Listen, it's off season for everybody. Macho man, homage, homage. What do we determine? I don't know. I, I, well, homage. You ask. I don't know that that T-shirt actually is homage T-shirt. Oh, I can't sell it necessarily. I mean, look, maybe they can steal it and adopt it and you know make some money off it. But I don't think that actually is a, a homage. Homage. Um, it just sounds wrong either way there's cool stuff that looks like this whether this thing specifically is from there or not it's over there they do have some awesome stuff i appreciate everybody for tuning in to our beautiful off-season discussions we'll be back on thursday with more nfl intense june breakdowns see you on thursday